that puts us at about a 1.71% return for the year so far. Now, I guess we did talk too much shit about it being too easy to beat the S&P 500. I still stand by that statement, don't get me wrong, but it seems like the market gods are punishing us for the time being. Uh, so we are underperforming the indexes so far this year, but like I said, you guys know it's just way too easy for us to beat them. So we'll let them get a little bit of their confidence back, but we're going to come back and strike right away. Keep in mind, WSO Alpha, we do have another report coming out in just a couple of weeks here. We're giving you all of our thoughts on Tesla. We're going to come out with a rating. Promise it won't be a hold rating this time. Uh, that was pretty lame to do with Zillow. But either way, we want to be intellectually honest with you guys. Definitely be on the lookout for that Tesla report. Speaking of Tesla, we get a lot to talk about with Tesla going into today or especially going into tomorrow after the company's earnings report yesterday. We're giving them the whole thought banana section tomorrow. It's going to be all about uh, Tesla's earnings, putting them in that earnings spotlight position. But we got some other news from some other earnings reports from IBM. They actually instituted a brand new strategy this quarter where they actually decided to post solid earnings rather than swinging and missing like they do just about every other time. So it's a brand new strategy from the boomer version of Microsoft that is IBM, but that's always good to see. And then, of course, for our final banana bit today, that we, or for our first banana bit today that we didn't address yet, the FAA has basically just told Boeing to quit at this point. They basically said, like, guys, listen, you clearly cannot build planes that stand together in one piece or have computer systems work. So... They're getting told to chill out a little bit. It actually wasn't as bad as it initially sounded. They came out this morning with some corrections to the directive. And so shares are absolutely dumping today as they pretty much have been, just like the firm's planes do. So uh, it's good to see that at least the stock moves in the same direction that their planes do. And then, of course, finally, for the big news of the week so far, probably the news of 2024, if you ask me, uh, it's officially time to riot in the streets. They've just officially gone too far at this point. Senator Chuck Schumer of New York came out earlier this week at basically is inciting the federal government to take away the one true joy that we have left in our lives. And that, of course, is packing fat upper lippies with our zin. So the federal government is looking into action to uh, get us to apparently stop having fun, stop ripping zins all day. I don't really know what could possibly be the motivation for that. But just like what they did with Jules back in the day, they clearly just don't want us to have fun anymore. They're trying to take away our zins. We're going to be riding in the streets. So Definitely come and join our riot. We'll send you. Uh, we'll we'll keep you guys updated with all the details about that riot soon enough. But for now, let's just go ahead and dive into the macro story of the day. So not a whole lot came out yesterday or really earlier this week. Today we did get the U.S. GDP report for the fourth quarter. So get excited for that tomorrow. Today we're focusing on the U.S. flash PMI produced by S&P Global. Now keep in mind this is the flash PMI, so it's preliminary data. None of this is really confirmed just yet. This is kind of the uh, initial reading for the month. I mean, it is the PMI data for January. We still have about a week or so left in January, so how could it be the entire thing? But either way, Flash PMI, the composite Flash PMI, considering both manufacturing and services, jumped from a, uh, well, basically rose to a 50.9 reading to close of 2023, and then actually made a big leap to start out this year, jumping up to 52.3. For anybody that doesn't know, the PMI, or uh, Purchasing Manufacturers Index, Essentially, what this does is it, it's a survey that's issued to purchasing manufacturers at these manufacturing companies, and they basically say, hey, how much shit are you buying this month, or how much uh, new materials are you going to be purchasing this month? Because the purchasing managers at these manufacturing firms, of course, what they buy is raw materials. So if we see that increasing, if we see that they're buying more stuff than they had in the prior month, that means that they plan to be selling more in the future, which is obviously a great sign for the economy. The way to interpret this index, anytime it's above 50, that means that uh, the manufacturing sector is expanding. If it's below 50, that means we're declining. 
And when we're talking about the composite reading, that factors in both manufacturing and the services sector, which is just the same thing, but for more service-based companies, obviously. Uh, and so this right here refers to the composite reading that's going to be both of them together. But the real news was on the manufacturing side of things. So this was sitting at a reading of about 47.9 in December. Obviously, that means contraction. But for the first time in quite a while, in a good few years, since at least the beginning of 2022, we have expansion in the manufacturing sector alone, jumping to 50.3 reading in January. So keep in mind, like we said, anything about 50 represents expansion of the sector. And as you guys can see by this chart, this basically shows where the PMI has been over the past, you know, a little bit more than a decade, 15 years or so. And as you can see, this tiny little blip right above that 50 line, that's where we are now. And that, once again, is showcasing that expansion. Again, great time for the manufacturing sector. Good for uh, anybody who is fearing a recession because an expanding manufacturing sector definitely does not tend to coincide with recessionary outcomes. But if we dive a little bit more under the hood or if we dive a little bit, uh, kind of considering all things together, especially with the Fed meeting coming up this week, with the U.S. economy entering full chat mode with both services and manufacturing expanding, that can get a little bit scary on the inflation side of things. So obviously it's good for uh, recessionary odds because like I just said, manufacturing expansion doesn't tend to coincide with recessionary outcomes, but it does tend to coincide with higher inflation. So that's the one thing that we're going to be fearing from this report because the manufacturing sector and the services sector came in so goddamn strong. That's a really strong side for an overheating or an expanding economy. They could potentially be expanding too quickly. Definitely expect Jay Powell and the boys to be shouting this out on Wednesday of next week when we have that next FOMC meeting and that next rate decision as well. Uh, we're going to get that a week from yesterday. Everyone expects rates to be held steady. CME Group has about 2% chance of a 25-bit cut and 98% chance that everything's held just about the same. This report didn't change that really at all, but if anything might put a little bit more risk to the upside that rates are going to be held, uh, held a little bit higher going forward. Basically, the, the main takeaway here on the inflation side of things is it probably just slightly decreases the odds of rates being cut in March. Again, that's going to be a very minimal impact. The much bigger impact is going to be what we're focusing on tomorrow, which is, of course, overall U.S. GDP. And we've got some great news for you guys on that front. So we'll definitely see you there. Stay tuned, of course. Moving on to some stock movements of the day, the big dog Netflix, the king of streaming, officially kept their crown in the fourth quarter of last year ripping all the way to 260 million total subscribers. Uh, that's pretty much more than all the other streaming services could ever dream of getting. Even Amazon looping that in with their Prime subscription can't even really come close. They're at about 200 million as of the last reading that I saw. But getting back to Netflix, it turns out that adding in everyone's least favorite things in the entire world being tricky passwords and, of course, advertisements has actually worked out pretty well for the company. So adding in these two features has basically allowed them to expand their password sharing business surprised the most to the upside. Subscriber numbers were looking great there. But even with those decent subscriber numbers, earnings per share, EPS, the bottom line, the income of the company definitely couldn't keep up with it. They delivered about $2.11 per share in Q4, well below the $2.22 expected. But revenue did come in a bit hotter at about $8.83 billion, beating expectations by $110 million. Looks like the cost of actually putting this shit together, putting that content together for all of us so that we have something to watch instead of going out, uh, you know, every single night of the week. Basically, so that we can keep entertained was a little bit more expensive. Probably still has something to do with uh, kind of the writer strike, the Hollywood strike that was going on that's increasing production costs in Netflix and all of the other studios. But we'll see if that continues going forward, if it's more of a systematic problem. 
All right, but we've gone down to the biggest earnings report of the day, ASML Holdings. And we do have uh, a video for you guys on this one real quick. But before we get into the video, let me just give you guys a quick rundown. So much like those bumps in California in 1840 that were selling picks and shovels to all of these gold miners that were rushing out there, uh, they couldn't care less if their customers actually did hit a big and find any gold. And ASML being basically the pick and shovel bump seller of the semiconductor industry, they couldn't care less if this whole AI thing actually worked. So all they want these customers to do is just continue to buy their shit. So they're really trading on AI demand more so than actual AI outcome. And as you guys know, 2023 was the year of AI demand more than anything, especially in Q4. And they absolutely knocked it out of the park. They saw basically 30% sales growth in total revenue for the year, 47.2 billion, when a really nice 6.9 billion euros was actually the expectation. So obviously they still beat this out, EPS beat too, uh, and essentially selling semiconductor equipment has been, you know, the 2023 equivalent of selling picks and shovels during the California gold rush. All right, now let's get into that video. I think we got the CEO spitting some game here. Let's check things out. A big, big quarter in the fourth quarter. So sales tripling from the previous quarter coming in well above the estimates. And yet, your guidance for 2024 is relatively conservative. What is behind that relative caution for 2024? Yeah, I mean, you just said it right. I mean, it is a relative caution. Uh, of course, 2023 was our was our top year. I mean, we had a 30% sales growth. Um, many of our customers actually took a lot of capacity um, which, of course, the industry was in a downturn in 2023. So they're going to use that capacity going forward. So we won't see another 30% growth here in uh, 2024. Uh, so they're going to use that capacity. However, we've also said we see the first positive signs of recovery. Um, so we, at the beginning of the year, we'd much rather be a bit conservative. Uh, but as you also uh, saw, you know, we had a record quarterly order intake, which also bodes well for 2020. All right. Well, I mean, the pretension was absolutely dripping out of that video. I mean, anytime I hear a British accent, it does make me want to throw up a little bit. I think I might have thrown up in my mouth a little bit there, but I kind of blacked out. Anyway, it was actually great to see that kind of a response from a CEO and from a company as big as ASML Holdings. Essentially, they said that they had a really big year in 2023. Obviously, sales grew 30%, but they're not getting too excited about 2024. They're not riding that hype to get investors even more hyped for the future. Uh, so maybe it's not as dripping in pretension as we might think, but it's hard to avoid when you hear a British accent like that. All right, now let's move into the absolute pieces of shit of the day yesterday. So first, we have chemical maker DuPont date and Mueller's. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. I mean, I would never dream or want to be French, but it seems like this is going to be a French name. So DuPont Date and More is what I'm going to call it. Either way, this is one of the oldest companies around, founded in 1802. That's before the Louisiana Purchase. That's during the administration of President Thomas Jefferson, believe it or not. Uh, and that's even before the Secretary of the Treasury was shot and killed by an American vice president. So this is quite a long time ago is what I'm trying to get at here that this stock was founded. And they are still absolutely just falling apart. So yesterday they lost about 14%. Uh, this chemical maker, they really did announce some weak-ass preliminary earnings. It wasn't even their day of their earnings report, but these you know sadomasochistic executives apparently wanted to take the pain for themselves just in case. So they came out yesterday and released kind of preliminary earnings. Basically, they said they expect revenue of $2.9 in total. The stream was pricing for about $3 billion. Not a huge difference, but of course, coming up short on the uh, revenue front, 
like we saw in Q3, it looks like that's continuing to be a huge problem for investors in Q4. Some years, you know, it's going to be the EPS, it's going to be bottom line earnings that matters more in the short term because, you know, investors want to see how companies are dealing with various cost pressures. But when recessionary impacts are kind of the main the main fear of investors going forward, uh, earnings report focus shifts to the top line. It shifts more towards revenue to show because it's a better proxy for customer demand, of course. And so missing on that revenue estimate is definitely not a great sign, especially when recessionary fears are kind of top of mind. It shows that customers still aren't planning to go back to you. It shows that you might not be as recession-proof as people may anticipate. And that's exactly what we saw with DuPont. So EPS is still on track for weak demand out of China and the fact that customers have way overstocked in terms of their chemicals over the past couple of years uh, is really what's weighing down on them going forward. All right, then moving into our last stock of the day, America's least favorite company in AT&T. Anybody out there unfortunate enough to have AT&T like myself knows the struggles of dealing with spotty Wi-Fi, shitty cell reception, and pretty much every other problem that you could have with a company like this. So AT&T, they came out just a day after their big brother Verizon came out with earnings. And Verizon had a great day after their earnings report. AT&T saw the exact opposite. Uh, so they did report EPS of $0.54. Cents. Missed expectations, it declined compared to last year, so obviously that made investors pretty nauseous. But still, on the subscriber side of things, it wasn't as bad as expected. Uh, they did slap investors in the face by guiding for a miss on full year 2023 EPS as well. Overall, subscriber numbers were decent, but clearly they weren't able to monetize effectively enough, uh, and definitely not as effectively as their older brother, Verizon. Because you are on the live stream here, but keep in mind that you can always go to Spotify, go to YouTube, check out these uh, podcast recordings, check out everything here. That's exactly what this link is going to take you to. Uh, just a quick shameless plug so that you guys can stay more plugged into the WSO channel here. But moving on to the real piece of news for the day. This is exactly what's brought me such riches in this beautiful mansion that we have here at the DWP Global Headquarters was the fact that I was invested exclusively in hedge funds in 2023, and it turned out they had a pretty good year. Not only did they have a pretty good year, it was their best year on record in terms of the dollar amount of profits for these institutions. Uh, so let's dive into that in just a second. So anytime that you guys want to speed up that whole losing faith in humanity process, you know what to do. Just go ahead and check out what the latest hedge funds are doing. Uh, and that's exactly what we did in 2023. As conflict was boiling all around the world, Wars are uh, apparently the new mainstream thing to do once again. It's like it's a 1914 again, and we just want to get started with uh, some violence. And hedge funds are here to make money off of it. So that's exactly what happened last year. There was a lot of stuff going on on that front. And of course, it being a true stock pickers market uh, in 2023, that tends to bode well for hedge funds. Because when markets are moving in one direction pretty clearly, whether it's a bull or a bear market, it's tough for these alternative strategies to outperform that. But when you have a year like 2023, clear stock pickers market, the MAG7 lifting the entire S&P 500, that's when it's these guys' time to shine. So for this group of people that pronounce words like white and where as white and where, um, they did have their most profitable year on record. So according to Forbes, there's over 30,000 hedge funds globally. And yes, we know the 29,000 of those are exactly what we said here, lobotomized frat brothers pretending to have a job so that mom and dad can keep sending them their allowance, quote unquote, temporary, but Either way, what we're focusing on here today is going to be the top 20 of those hedge funds. They were able to pull in $67 billion in total profits in 2023, just edging out the previous record of $65 billion in profits in 2021. And at least now we have an answer to the question of war. What is it good for? Clearly, it's hedge fund earnings and hedge funds profits. So let's see exactly how they did it. Average return for the year was 10.5% for the top 20 hedge funds. 
for the broader market of all hedge funds in the United States, that is. The average return was 6.4%. All these numbers are according to Bloomberg, by the way. I don't think this is uh, plagiarism by stealing their numbers and not dropping them as a link, but it's definitely according to Bloomberg here. So some of the top performers were TCI. I'm pretty sure that's like a fund for children. I don't know if it's charitable or what, but the C definitely stands for children. I'm forgetting what the T and the I stand for. Either way, Ken Griffin Citadel came up next with $8.1 billion. And now I want to throw up in my mouth once again because I'm realizing I forgot to put the dollar sign there. But trust me, that is in U.S. dollars. All these other ones did pretty good as well. Pershing Square was not in sixth place, but we had to shout out our boy Billy Ackman. Given all of the Twitter activity and stuff that he's blessing us with uh, over on the Bird app. So these are the top performers minus Pershing Square. But again, want to show. Uh, not to brag, but keep in mind the WSO Alpha portfolio did outperform that average of these hedge funds. We were at 32.23% in 2023, like we said at Stock Pickers Market. That's what we're here for as well. As you can see, the average return was 10.5% for those top 20 hedge funds. All right. So one of the biggest things that these hedge funds kept snapping up in 2023 was something called the catastrophe pop. Hearing that probably already has made you lose just about half of the faith in humanity that you had left. But it turns out it's not as bad as it sounds. So catastrophe bonds, aka cat bonds. These are issued by insurers and they're purchased by investors. Basically, it's the way it's a way for insurance companies to kind of diversify the risk of a catastrophe. Essentially, what happens is these bonds are issued by insurance companies. They're sold to investors like hedge funds. These hedge funds put up a certain amount of collateral that then accrues interest while they for the duration of that uh, of the catastrophe bond. If the catastrophe happens, the hedge funds and the investors they lose their collateral, and it goes to actually paying out claims for the insurance companies. If that uh, catastrophe doesn't actually happen, they simply just get their collateral back, just like any kind of regular bond. And so the insurance companies were selling these like they were like they're selling water at a house fire last year, effectively. And hedge funds were snapping them up as fast as they can. So apparently not a whole lot of catastrophes happened last year. Uh, I kind of beg to differ with that, especially over the past couple of years. But either way, if we go ahead and look at their profit books, I mean, it's hard to disagree with that data and those dollars. So either way, great year for hedge funds in 2023. Shout out to all the fellas managing those funds out there that put me into this new crib. Um, it's just me and Shelby Otani in here, like I said, the $700 million man. So if anybody wants to come hang out, definitely feel free to let us know. All right. And then, of course, finishing up with the investor quote of the day, Mr. Ken Griffith, who is the CEO of Citadel, which was, as you guys can see, the number two most profitable hedge fund in the United States last year. So obviously we had to go to our boy. He said, we think excelling in investing comes from focus. This guy is also a true legend on Wall Street. First of all, he's one of the best money managers of all time. Second of all, you might remember him back in 2021 with a uh, uh, there was some auction of the Constitution by Sotheby's. They were auctioning off a copy of the Constitution, and that Dow was trying to purchase it, and Ken Griffin came in at the absolute last second and stole it right from the hands of that Dow. That was one of the funniest moves of all time. Shout out to Ken Griffin for being an absolute scumbag legend on that front. That's the energy that we love to see. All right, that pretty much finishes it up for us today, guys. Make sure to leave us a rating and everything, but keep in mind that I will burn your house down if you put it as rotten as fuck. Uh, but with that in mind, just keep us a give us a rating. Tell us what you guys think, what we're doing great on, what we're doing bad on. And we'll see you tomorrow. We got an exciting, exciting daily peel and an exciting live stream for you guys tomorrow. We got GDP reports, we got Tesla earnings, and a whole bunch of other stuff going on as well. We can't wait to see you there. As always, happy trading, happy investing. Thank you guys for joining us. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. 
If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.